Good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be here with you this morning. It's exciting. Um, there's a few new faces in the crowd, so just to let you know, my name's Tara. I do kids ministry here at Northreach, and welcome to Northreach. Before we get started this morning, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, your word that is active in our lives, your word that speaks to us and challenges us. Lord, you gave us your word, and we're so grateful for it. Now, this morning, as you spoke in my heart this week, I pray that you will speak in the hearts of those that listen. In thy precious and holy name, amen. So we're going to continue our walk through Ecclesiastes. Now, the great thing about Ecclesiastes is King Solomon, it's a practical book. This book just spells out how it is. If you want a book that just tells you how it is, Ecclesiastes is the book. I actually had a discussion with somebody this week, and um, in that discussion, she and I were talking about personalities and cultures and different things like that, and she was the type of person that just said it as it is. She just tells you the truth. She doesn't, she just tells you. She's straightforward. She's the type of person that you know where you stand with her, which is a great, I admire people like that. I'm not like that. I come from a culture, Canadians tend to be overly nice. We are known to be overly nice. Now, I'm going to give you a quick little story, all right, about something that, so we as a family all went to Canada to visit. Now, my children have grown up in Australia. I've married an Australian. And so we're in Canada, right? We're going through Costco's. Everybody know what Costco's is? They have it in Brisbane. It's really, I love Costco's, just to put it out there. I just love it. So we're going through Costco's, and my daughter and my husband decide that they want to see how many Canadians they can get to say sorry. So what they do is they walk around and they purposely bump into some of the Canadians to see if they could get them to say sorry first. And because we are overly nice, every single Canadian went, I'm so sorry. See, that's just kind of our culture. We, we're overly nice. And it, it takes me a long time to tell you what I mean. Just ask my husband. So if my husband and I are in a confrontation or something like that, and I want to tell him something, I'm just trying to make it really nice. You know, I, I work really hard at making it nice, and I can just see him, and he goes, Tara, just tell me what you mean. I just want to know what you mean. And here I am, flapping around, and I'm trying to make it as nice as possible, but he just wants to know what I mean. And this is what King Solomon is doing. He's telling us what he means. He's straight. He's forward. He's not a Canadian. He's being blunt here. And he's telling us to his readers that what we need to know and what we need to do about it. So King Solomon is writing this book from a position of having tried it all. You see, he has the wealth and he has the fame. And we know from 1 Kings chapter 3 that God gave him wisdom and knowledge. So he's extremely wealthy. He's extremely famous and he's extremely wise. 
King Solomon is telling us, readers, that if that you and I, and it's literally, tried everything in this world that he has to offer, that all that he has to offer, he wants us to know what he has learned from that. He wants to spell it out for us. And he does. He does right from the very beginning of Ecclesiastes. He spells it out. I mean, you couldn't get any more straightforward than this, as Pastor Gary has shown us in the last two weeks. Meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It's kind of a warning to us. It's a warning like like a drug addict who says, don't start taking drugs, or an alcoholic who says, don't even go near, near alcohol. King Solomon is telling us that what we think that this world is giving us to fulfill us is absolutely meaningless. It's not going to fulfill us. Last week, Pastor Gary shared on timing, on time. And in chapter 3, it says there is a time for everything and a season for everything. A season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. You know, we have lived in 2020, we all talk about it, but in this past 2020, we have actually lost quite a few famous people. I was really surprised when I googled how many people we lost in 2020, and it was quite a few. People who were really renowned for things. We may have watched some of these people on social media, we will have formed an opinion about them. Either way, their names mean something to us. Something in our minds that help us identify these people. They were famous. They were very well known. People like Sean Connery, 007. Kirk Douglas. Chadwick Boseman for our younger generation. He played the Black Panther in the Marvel movies. Or Kobe Bryant, the famous basketball player. All of these people have that fame and that fortune. They were successful in the eyes of the world. They had it all together. They were rich, probably. They were definitely very gifted. They were famous. Everyone knew who they were. And I would say that some of them were really quite smart. I mean, you just have to listen to Sean Connery's voice to get that, don't you? But King Solomon with all that fame, with everything that they represent from the world standard, is saying it's all meaningless. It means absolutely nothing. What we're going to start today is we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 2. And the interesting thing about Ecclesiastes 2 is Solomon begins to look at an area in his life where God specifically blessed him. We find in the story of his request for wisdom in 1 Kings chapter 3. So when King Solomon, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 3 that King Solomon walked really, really closely with God. He had a really good relationship with God. And God saw that and he blessed him. And he said, you know what? I am pleased with you. Whatever you want, I will give you. And King Solomon realized that he, he didn't have anything to rule the Israelites. Like, He had no experience, and he said, God, if you could just give me wisdom so I could rule your people wisely. And God was so pleased with that. And so he bestowed wisdom upon King Solomon. And not only that, he gave him riches. 
And with that, riches came fame. King Solomon had it all. Yet here in this Ecclesiastes, he starts looking and reflecting on wisdom. Now, I want you to just sit here for a minute. I just want you to think about him penning these words as he's writing. He's, he could be sitting in his bedroom chamber, and I have a picture of, of, you know, just those old movies where you sit in there and the big columns and, and maybe gold wallpaper or something like that, maybe rings on the fingers. He could just snap his finger and anybody would come to his bidding. He's sitting there and he's penning these words and he's looking out over his kingdom all the people who called him king. And he starts writing. He starts writing about all the riches and everything, and this is what he begins to say. He says, Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can a king's successor do than what has already been done? I've done everything, he's saying. What more can I do? I've experienced it all, the pleasure, everything. I have done it. I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. So whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, you come to the same fate. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain? What do I gain from all this wisdom, all this wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. For the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. So whether you're foolish or you're wise, your fate is the same. You will die. So what does this mean? What is Solomon trying to tell us in this passage? Is he saying don't even worry about pursuing wisdom or knowledge? No, he's not saying that. Because we know in Proverbs 1.7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools are the ones that despise wisdom and instruction. So this is not what King Solomon is saying. What King Solomon is saying is that there is more to life than being full of knowledge and wisdom. And then Solomon goes on to to say, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after wind. I hated all things. I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Here you are. You have spent years working, years toiling, long hours in the office. And then... And then after you accumulate everything that you've worked for, maybe that car in your driveway, the house, your education, all of these things, you die. Your life comes to an end. And then all that wealth, who gets it? The person who comes behind you. And then you don't know if they're going to treat what you work so hard for well. 
Are they going to appreciate the hours of work you've put in? Are they going to care the number of hours you spent in the office or, or renovating your home? Are they going to appreciate that? Have you ever gone to a deceased estate? Have you ever gone, and I went to one, rec- uh, not recently, a couple of years ago, and, and all the, the person owned, everything that had been precious for them was out there to be sold. And then whatever wasn't sold would be given to the salvos or to the tip. Interesting, isn't it? Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil, into which I have poured my effort and my skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all the toilsome labor under the sun, for a person may labor with wisdom, with knowledge, and with skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This, too, is meaningless and a great misfortune. So what do people get for all the toil and all the anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days that they work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This, too, is meaningless. I honestly don't think that there's a person here this morning who cannot relate to what King Solomon is saying. Whether you're a businessman, a businesswoman, a parent, a stay-home mom, a teacher, a, a retiree, a student. All of us can identify with this in some way, can we not? We work so incredibly hard. And King Solomon is saying it's all meaningless. As a little girl, I was absolutely fascinated when my dad came home from work with his briefcase. He would carry the briefcase and he would bring it home And I always remember he'd either put it down on the floor near the kitchen or he'd put it up on the kitchen counter. And there was just something about it. That represented my dad to me. And and I remember taking that briefcase and opening it up and exploring it and looking through it. And there was a certain smell to it. I don't know. Just made my dad important. My dad would go away every day to work and then he would come home. and, And what he did was important. It was really great. Do you know, I worked out this week that my dad worked 42 years before he retired. And if I took six weeks of holidays every year within those 42 years, and he worked 40 hours a week in his lifespan of working, he worked 77,000 hours. Does that not just blow your mind? 77,280 hours my dad worked. I lost my father in 2013, and all those hours he spent at work, no one remembers. No one remembers. All those papers he brought home and I used to look at in the briefcase are non-existent. What my father did no longer matters today. So can you see why King Solomon is saying what he is saying? You work only hard to leave it to another who has not toiled for it. It's meaningless. It has no meaning. 
my goodness, what would life be like if that was its point? If the point in life, if the whole reason we were here was to work and pleasure and all of that, how meaningless that would be. Yet that's what the world believes. Does it not? That is what they tell us to invest in. You know, from the time that King Solomon and his days, our world has gone through so many changes. If we were to compare our present day to the days of King Solomon, we would consider ourselves to be much further advanced technologically, um, culturally, you know, with, with how we have advanced in, in technology and, and our, our thinking processes. Yet today, I would say, with all our advancements, all our giant leaps for mankind, we see more lost people, more hurting people, and more confused people than ever before. In our worldly wisdom, what we consider to be so incredibly high, uh, wise, we have removed God from everything we possibly can. We have removed him from the equation. People are, are on the quest to find out who they are. They want to find out who their identity. A secular article I was reading this week was, what is identity? And the, the definition they gave is that identity is very important to who you are and the decisions we make. So if our identity is caught up in our fame or making a name for ourselves, that's where we're going to put our energy, because that's what's important to us. If it's about making money, then we're going to work really hard so that we look successful. If it's about having the perfect family or or providing food, whatever is that important thing for us, that is what we're going to put our energy towards. I shared this story before, but one time we had someone share a meal in our house. And they were on a journey of finding meaning in their life. They had explored every kind of religion. They had many, read many books. They had listened to many podcasts of people's thoughts and people's ideas, yet with all of their study and with all the searching, his comment to me was he was still searching for his identity. You see, everything that he was putting his hand to was meaningless, so he was keeping on looking. But the one thing that this man did was he removed God from his life, and he would profess to be an atheist. But yet, King Solomon is not talking from a perspective of an unbeliever or an atheist. King Solomon is writing as a believer. He believed in the one and true God. He knew God. In 1 Kings 3.3, it says, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David. Yet as he writes in reflection, Solomon has grown older and his heart has turned. And throughout Ecclesiastes, he keeps referring to chasing the wind 
or chasing worldly pleasures. And slowly his heart changes. He disobeyed God's orders about marrying outside of Israel. Solomon took many foreign wives for himself, and he collected thousands of horses and chariots and imported them from Egypt, which was against God's law. In 1 Kings chapter 11, it describes King Solomon's slow decline away from the heart of God. It says in verse 2, You must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And in verse 4, it says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. You see, Solomon, with all his wisdom allowed worldly desire to take over, and instead of finding his identity in the one and true God, he sought it by seeking worldly desires, which he likened to chasing the wind. Let's continue reading. As a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil, this too, I see, is from the hand of God, For without him, you get that? For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. You see, family, when we, when we work for God, there is pleasure. There is purpose. There is an outcome. We work because life doesn't end here. There is an eternity where Jesus has said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that also may be where I am. The world offers no hope in anything you do. It's momentary pleasures, chasing the wind. You cannot grasp it. There's no satisfaction. However, our lives do not have to be like that. Work hard. Yes, that's necessary. Yes. It's good for us. Yes, it is good for us. Depending on our motive. You see, you may be here this morning... And this is how you view life. You view life as meaningless. Everything you do is like chasing the wind. You have no hope. You are unsure of who you are. And you don't know what direction you're heading in. And I'm here this morning. I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he has a direction for you. John 3.16, the most famous passage. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, will not die, but will have everlasting life. As soon as Jesus becomes part of your life, your identity changes. You change from chasing the wind to being a son and a daughter of the Most High. Or maybe you here this morning, you are a Christian, and yet you still identify with everything King Solomon says. You're saying, I don't like my job. In fact, I really hate it. Or I don't want to go to school. I can't stand going to school. My family, they're driving me nuts. To me, all these tasks are meaningless. They don't bring me any satisfaction at all. I'm here to tell you maybe it's not the job. Maybe it's not school. Maybe it's not family. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you in your job, in your school, in your family. How is your life contributing to those people around you? Are you living a life that draws you closer to God or further away? My father's papers in that briefcase from files of years ago, they may not be around anymore, but I can tell you what is. My father taught me about Jesus and that Jesus loves me and that Jesus is preparing a place for me. And my father taught me that my identity, my identity isn't in what the world offers. It is an eternal life. The joy and the hope of being a child of the Most High. Are you like King Solomon where when he served God, God blessed him. And when the world got a hold of his heart, he found it hard to let go of the world. The pleasures of the world were too strong, and he made a choice to chase the wind. This morning, I want to challenge you with your identity. Where are you living your life this morning? What are you living your life for? Proverbs 16, 1 to 4 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord's works works out everything to its proper end. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18 says, For our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen and what is temporary, but what is unseen and what is eternal. As I sat in the office this week and I was praying about writing this, I asked um. I asked God for conclusions. Conclusions are always very hard for me to write. And at the very beginning of starting this message, he gave me this video that I want to share with you this morning. But I want you to listen to the words of this video. I want you to take it to heart. I want to challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. I want you to open up your heart this morning to the challenges that he challenged me with this week. 
I always say that whenever I prepare a message, I have all the fingers pointing back at me. Because I don't stand up here from somebody who knows it all and is doing it all. I'm standing from the point of I'm a work in progress. And so whenever I study God's word, he speaks profoundly to me. So during this song, if you are being challenged and you want someone to pray with you, I just want you to come up to the front here. You might not know the Lord, and you might be the one that's chasing the wind and going, I don't understand this God who's got a plan for my life. I mean, he really actually cares and he wants to be involved in my life. Yeah, he does. And he wants to give you eternal life. Or you might be the Christian here that has lost their way a bit. And you might be the person who has started their heart turning towards the things that the world seems, it seems so, you know, it draws you in. But you see that God's got big plans for you. And you want God's plans and not to get a hold of what the world has to offer. I too want you to come and sit up at the front so we can pray with you. Allow this video to speak to you. Don't shut out what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart this morning. Because there are people here who are being challenged. Because I know that because I know God spoke to me this week. And I know he's speaking to people here. Let's watch the video.